I want to begin this morning by asking you this question. Have you ever encountered persecution in following Christ? Have you suffered for your association with the Lord Jesus? Has someone troubled you, hassled you because you are a believer? I think the degree to which I've personally experienced that is pretty minor. Maybe you have a more serious experience. The other question I might ask is, do you anticipate this happening in the future? You see, the situation of the church in the book of Hebrews was a situation in which they anticipated this happening in the very near future and on a fairly serious level. I remember a few years ago, I went uh, to serve in Bangladesh. Bangladesh is a a Muslim country where they officially have freedom of religion, but culturally uh, to hold to any religion other than Islam is fairly seriously frowned upon. I went with a team from my church and we went to uh, meet with and encourage and provide some teaching. We actually put on a little conference or retreat for these Christian pastors in this Muslim nation. And the material we were teaching were, was based on things Jesus said about, what the, about the commitments of discipleship. And one of the, there were seven of these commitments that we found in the Bible, in the Gospels. And one of these was take up your cross. And that was the one I got to teach. So I got to give the, a lesson to these Bengali pastors about taking up your cross, about the meaning of that expression in the text. And I've been thoroughly trained in how to discover the meaning of biblical texts, so I could explain that fairly well, I guess. And to take up your cross is to endure whatever pain might, or suffering might, you might be called upon to endure in whatever witness you might bear for Christ. And of course, when Christ spoke of taking up your cross, he was talking about himself as well as anyone else. He's, and I'm kind of sure it confused the people he was speaking to at the time because it was before he took up his cross. And in taking up his cross, he endured the necessary suffering for our redemption. And he, according to the book of Hebrews, did so for the sake of joy. And in fact, the very night before he took up his cross the next day, he spoke to his disciples and told them that he was praying for them that they would experience 
his joy. (laughs) So anyway, I was giving this talk about the possibility of suffering in the testimony of Christ to these Bengali pastors. Now here's what they did immediately following my talk. They had a sharing time. A time in which they talked to each other and shared testimonies of their work. And what was shared in that time was many stories in which they had personally suffered for bearing witness to the cross of Christ, to the grace of God in Christ. These men had been physically beaten for showing the Jesus film and then inviting discussion. Or one of them came home from work one day and his house was torn down. And I remember thinking at the time, I I don't know what I'm talking about, but they do. I can understand the text and they have experienced it. So my question is, have you encountered persecution in following Christ? Do you anticipate that? Jesus said, you know, if the world hates me, they'll hate you if you're following me. In 1 John, John said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I've put these references in the, in, in the bulletin for you. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, whoever desires to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Now, of course, persecution happens on a lot of levels. There are, so, I, you know, I guess there's been some experiences in my life that could be called that where someone put shade on me because of my Christianity. And there's certainly some general hatred of the world for Christians in all kinds of cultures and settings. But here's the interesting thing. In Acts chapter 5, you can read this. In Acts chapter 5, There's a story in which the apostles are proclaiming the gospel. This is very, very early days, right? Acts chapter 5. And the apostles are proclaiming Christ, Peter, James, and John. And they're hauled in before the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jewish people. And these men in authority in their society say, stop it or else. And everyone knew what or else was. This wasn't too many days after they had crucified Jesus. This same group of people. 
And they said, no, we're not going to stop it. This is the same Peter who just about a month and a half ago when a little girl asked him, hey, you're with, you're with Jesus, aren't you? He said, shut up, I am not. But this man has been transformed by the power of God's grace and the witness of the resurrection and, is, and the filling of the Holy Spirit. We better not discount that. And he says to the same group of men who crucified Christ, you crucified Christ and I will not stop telling it. You tell me, should I obey you or God? So then the Sanhedrin had a problem and they got together in a little sidebar and they said, oh, what are we going to do? And they said, well, let's just, let's not kill them because that'll make it worse. And so the cooler heads prevailed in this one instance and instead of killing them, they had them beaten. Now this was not you know, a mild beating. <laughs> and do you know what Acts chapter 5, verse 41 says about these guys when they came out of this meeting? I just want to read it to you instead of trying to quote it. Here's what it says. Let me read verse 40. They took his advice, the guy who said, let's not kill him. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them again not to speak the name of, in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council Rejoicing. Rejoicing. You know what they were rejoicing about? It wasn't that they got beaten instead of killed. That would be cause for rejoicing. Thank goodness we're still alive and not killed. But no, Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for the name, to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You see, the persecution made it even more real. the grace of God in Christ. They were stronger preachers now. There's an account of uh, the Apostle Andrew and his death and similar situation, except it was a Roman official. And the Roman official said, stop preaching Jesus. And Andrew said, no, and the Roman official said, stop preaching Jesus or I'll have you crucified. And Andrew said something like this, well, would I preach Jesus and not embrace the cross? <laughs> Bring it. 
what an honor it would be to die in the same way he died for his name. Do you see how the work of the Spirit of God to bring the real comprehension of the grace of God and the real understanding of our salvation in God totally liberated these men so that they would do what was good and right for the joy of the glory of God, whatever you did to them. That is what the writer of Hebrews wants the church, the Hebrews church, to see, to remember. In fact, to remember because, in fact, they had this experience. And we read about it in Hebrews chapter 10. Now, this is in the same context where the writer calls upon us and the Hebrew church in the first place to draw near in Christ because Christ has made it possible to hold fast to the hope of our confession without wavering because the one who promised, he's faithful. He will complete his promise. He will not leave you hanging. And to consider one another to love and good deeds that's in this same context. And then he says, uh, the, goes through the, the text we were looked at last time. If you refuse to be reconciled to God in Christ, then you have no other sacrifice. You're lost. He's worried that in the fellowship of the church, there are people who are Christians without Christ. There are people who do the church and don't know Jesus. Because anyone who really knows Jesus can't imagine departing from it. And yet he hears people are imagining departing from it. And so he says, this warning. (laughs) And all of this is the encouragement to draw near to God in Christ to trust God in Christ, to hold fast to the hope of our confession, to look for his coming and to think about each other in order to encourage each other to love and good deeds. So this isn't a thing each of us does by himself. And then he says this, but remember the old days, the former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a little, very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if 
He shrinks back. My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Remember the former days. Now we learn some things about the church that this letter addresses. That the the persecution they're anticipating isn't the first round. They have experience with persecution. And so the writer reminds them, you endured a great conflict of suffering. This word endured is a very interesting word. It's like a compound. It uses the word meno, which means to stay someplace. Like, if I ask you, where do you live? I'd use this word. Where do you stay? What's your address? Meno, I'd use that word. What's your house? Place you live. And it also uses the word hoopo, (laughs) where we get the English form hypo, which means under. So this word, it's a word for patience or for endurance. It literally means to stay under. To stay under a great conflict of sufferings. Remember when you did that? When you stayed under a great conflict of sufferings, you stayed. You didn't cut and run like I hear you're thinking of doing now. You stayed. You endured. And he talks about how they endured. Some, sometimes, he says, public shaming. Public shaming through insults and pressure campaigns. The world is trying to get you to deny your Savior. The world wants you to say Jesus is not who you say he is. The world does this for a lot of reasons. Partly because the world doesn't like it pointed out to them that they're under the judgment of God. But anyway, for whatever reason, this is what's happened. Public shaming, a public spectacle through reproaches, that's a word for insults. And troubles, that's a word for a pressure campaign. And then he says, so sometimes that, and sometimes by you sharing the burden of those who were treated that way. So it's like they're in the church that we're addressing in the book of Hebrews. They're in that church. Some of you actually endured the the pressure campaign and the rest of you helped. The rest of you shared that suffering. And that suffering included imprisonment and the seizure of of property. 
that phrase, the seizure of property, really reminded me of this pastor in Bangladesh who came home from work one day and his house had disappeared from its foundation. Now, a Bengali house is not a big building, but still. And sometimes we bear that, and sometimes we are the partner of the people who bear that. And we could look around in the world right now, and there are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ imprisoned because they claim his name. And there are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who will be beaten today because they bear his name or will be fined or will be abused in every possible conceivable way. Is there a way we can share their burden? Oh yeah, there's plenty of ways. So just for your information, I've included just one of the many places where you could find out how. The very least we can do is pray. To let the Spirit move our compassion center. To suffer with them in prayer. So the writer reminds the Hebrews, they've been through this before. And he reminds them that they accepted these things joyfully. Joyfully. The word for accepted here is the word for welcome. Like if you opened your front door and said, come on in, with a smile, welcoming joyfully these things. Does that seem crazy to anyone else? But that is exactly what the scripture, how the scripture decides, describes Jesus himself. Later, just a couple more pages down in the book of Hebrews. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured. Same word, endured the cross. He was happy to do it for us. Doing it was not a happy experience, but he accepted it with joy. Knowing knowing the joy that would consequent that would be the consequence of his suffering well in here they received this with joy knowing for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing knowing what that you have for yourselves a better possession 
and a lasting one. You have a possession that's better than whatever they took from you, and they can't take that one from you. And you knew that. Do you see the power of that? Do you see the power of that? I remember when I was first starting, I worked in a business my parents started, and partly because I worked there, it was failing. I'd never really dealt with failing before. It was like we owned a business in order to hand out money. And I remember thinking, uh, this is going down the tubes and there's... uh, But I was standing there in my office one day and I said, what if they got everything? What if tomorrow the bank account was entirely empty? What if all of our things were taken? And of course, in this case, it was not through no fault of my own. But what if I woke up tomorrow and I had nothing? I remember the physical sensation of standing on solid rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if, every, if I wake up tomorrow and I have nothing, I still have everything in him. These people knew it. These people knew it when they endured this period of suffering of, you know, way worse than your business failing, of actual abuse from their society for the name of Christ. And they, it, they welcomed it because they knew something. They knew that you can take my house and I still have everything. And I'm not just saying that in some metaphorical sense. The scripture says if he gave you his only son, is there anything he will withhold? And the answer is no. So if he allows your possessions to abandon you, he has not abandoned you. fact he's working out something where if you knew what he was doing you'd be throwing away those same possessions so knowing you have a better possession and an abiding one is kind of the key here that's what enables a Christian that's where the power lies for the Christian to endure the pain, whatever the pain might be, of being a Christian. By the way, this would apply whether the pain is the pain of persecution or any other kind. You could read James chapter 1 if you needed proof of that. Count it all joy when you land in any kind of trouble. So he says, therefore, (laughs) remember, remember when you did that, remember that, that endurance that you exhibited in Christ because you knew something, 
Therefore, in the coming days, he says, don't throw away your confidence. Hang on to your confidence. By the way, it's a very interesting thing to study the usage of the word confidence in the book of Hebrews. I'll give you the references if you got a pen. 3, 6, 4, 16, 10, 19. We'll say that again. 3, 6, 4, 16, 10, 19. Confidence in chapter 4. Therefore, we have confidence. <laughs> we have the confidence to come Boldly before the throne of grace. Oh, this is drawing near. Oh, and in 1019, it's the very text. Well, it's right here. I'll just read it to you. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place. It's very interesting. The confidence is in every other instance used for drawing near to God in Christ. Entering the holy place in Christ. So, don't throw away your confidence. What is it that strengthens you to endure whatever suffering might be involved in following Christ? The answer is drawing near to God in Christ. Recognizing you've been reconciled to God. Recognizing you've been granted, imputed with the righteousness of Christ in before the eyes of the holy God in Christ. That confidence, that confidence that doesn't depend on what, how, you know, what a great person you are, but what a great person the Lord Jesus Christ is. So don't throw away your confidence. Keep drawing near for help in time of need. That's what we do in chapter 4. <laughs> we have the confidence to draw near, to go boldly before the throne of grace, to receive help in time of need. Time, it's time of need time in the Hebrews church. <clears throat> For you have need of endurance so that you may receive the promise. And when you've done the will of God, you'll receive the promise. Done the will of God. Well, that's an expression that's used right here in chapter 10 also, where it was Jesus who does the will of God. If you go back to, oh, let's say, chapter, verse 5 of chapter 10, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you've not desired, but a body you've prepared for me, in whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Now, if this doesn't remind us of take up your cross, we just haven't thought enough. Jesus says, I'm taking up my cross, and you follow me when you take up yours. And here, the writer of Hebrews says, in the mouth of Messiah, I've come to do your will to offer myself a sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all sacrifice for sin. 
And then he says to us, when you've done the will of God, well, I'm not going to offer myself a sacrifice for sin because that is not necessary anymore. But I might be called upon to make a sacrifice for the name of Christ. I might be called upon to exhibit the glory of God in suffering for love's sake. I'm going to say that again because there was a lot packed into that sentence. I might be called upon to exhibit the glory of God in suffering for love's sake. Jesus, before the cross, he prays. He says, now's the time to glorify the Son. How is the Son glorified in the book of John? You remember? In his death. He's lifted up. He's exalted by experiencing total humiliation. And so we have the opportunity to imitate him in little tiny examples of this same thing. Suffering in a way that exhibits his glory for love's sake. To do some benefit for someone else, I'll pay the price in order to show the nature of our God in Christ. He says, for he is coming soon. For he is coming soon. Now, I'm looking at my clock, and we're only halfway through. So here's what we're going to (laughs) do. We're going to stop here in the middle. But here's the thing for you to maybe look up look into a little bit. In this next section, he's quoting from the book of Habakkuk, the text we read earlier. Habakkuk is a crazy story. Habakkuk starts with Habakkuk, the prophet, crying out to God and saying, how long are you going to hold off on correcting this horrible situation? And he's talking about how Israel has lost track of God. He's saying, how long are you going to put up with this? When are you going to do something about it? And the Lord says to Habakkuk, oh, let me tell you what I have in mind. I'm getting the Chaldeans ready over here. And that was about all he had to say, but he goes on. They're going to come in. The the Chaldeans are going to come and it's not going to be pretty. And Habakkuk says, how can you do that? They're worse than us. Which is true. And the Lord says, oh, don't you worry. I'll take care of that too. And the last thing in the book of Habakkuk is the scripture we read this morning, where it's kind of like Habakkuk says, okay, I'll shut up now. He's coming soon. That's what the writer of Hebrews says, and he uses Habakkuk. He's coming soon. (laughs) So next time, we're going to talk about how that bears on this question of the opportunity that lies in the possibility of persecution in the life of the church and in the life of a Christian. Here's the thing. It's in the end. Faith, 
faith is faith is the assurance of things hoped for faith is the conviction of things unseen these these are not this is not a definition of faith it's a description of faith it tells you how faith behaves or what faith does Faith shows the reality of the things we hope for in the present day. Faith proves the things we don't see. It makes the things we don't see visible. When a Christian endures the persecution that's involved in being a Christian, it is a powerful testimony of the truth. You might not know this, but in English we have this word martyr. You probably know that. We have the word martyr. That word martyr is based on the Greek word martus. The Greek word martus means witness. So in the English language, at least, we have this this thing happening that says the very value of suffering for Christ is the value of the testimony it bears for his name. If Andrew stands before the the world power of his day and says, I love the idea of you crucifying me. That tells you that Andrew really trusts himself to the cross of Christ. Because he knows he has a better possession than even his own life. And a lasting one so you can kill him and it won't kill him. And that is a powerful rejoicing occasion because it glorifies the living God because it declares the great surpassing value of being in Christ we'll have some more on this next week I gotta stop there father we thank you for this great gift Lord we we might be fearful of what might be involved in our witness, in our claim of salvation in the Lord Jesus. So, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us for endurance that we would always hold fast the confession of our hope in him. And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, even now, who are enduring some persecution for his name's sake. Lord, we pray for the relief but we pray mostly 
that you would do this great reversing thing that you do, that your name would be exalted in their suffering, that the truth would shine from it, that more people, that people would come to Christ as a result. It's an amazing miracle that you have worked many times, that you work every day since the Lord ascended. Lord, we pray that we might be true witnesses. We thank you for the amazing grace that you've showered on us in Christ. Amen.